Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, as many of you know, as I've shared often from this stage, I love the ocean. And for as many times as I've shared that up here, there has been as many of you that have come up to me and said, well, pastor, it's a good thing that you live in Wisconsin because the lake is just like the ocean. And for as many times as I hear that and as many times as I will hear that in the future, I will always and forever respond, no, it's not. I love the ocean, ocean. And I like the ocean for a lot of reasons. I like the ocean because of the sun and because of the sand. But predominantly, I love the ocean because of the water. For as long as I can remember as a little kid, I just loved being in water. In fact, I remember my mom used to tell me when I was a little kid that, Nick, you should have been born a fish for as much as you're in the water. And so when I go to the ocean, I love, you know, swimming in the waves. <laughs> yeah, you know, I doggy paddled there. I, that's not how I actually swim, but I like swimming in the waves. Um, and if I've got snorkel gear or scuba gear, I, I love to be able to look under the water and see the wildlife. But the ocean truly is different from the lake. Because when you go to the lake, you might actually try and catch something to eat. But when you go to the ocean, there are things in there that might actually catch you to eat. And there are other dangers as well when you go swimming in the ocean, one of which Don and I actually found out um, when we were living in North Carolina. I remember one time in particular that we went to the beach. As we arrived on this very windy day, we noticed that there were signs all up and down the beach. And on these signs were color-coded flags that signified the danger of the riptide that day. And so on these signs, there was red, which signified don't go in the water, and yellow, which was, ah, it's okay, but be careful while you're out there. And then there was green, which was have at it. And on this particular day, the red flags were waving in the wind. And so Don and I went and talked to a lifeguard and asked him, what does that mean? Can we go swimming? And he said, you could go swimming. You would be an idiot to do so, and you do so at your own peril, but you can go. And he said, if you decide to go swimming and happen to get caught in a riptide, you need to fight your natural instinct, which is going to be to swim against the tide to try to go into shore. Instead, you need to allow the tide to pull you out. And as it does, you need to try to swim parallel to the shore until you get pulled out far enough where you're no longer being dragged by the tide and can swim back in. Now, for those of you who are wondering this morning, I realize that I am Polish, but I'm happy to report to you that we did not go swimming in the ocean that day. So why do I share that story? I share that story because I think the riptide that existed on the beach that day is an illustration of a similar force or tide that we feel as Christians that constantly pushes against us when we're trying to share the good news of the gospel with our neighbors, with our co-workers, or in our communities. There are social forces that when we decide we want to proclaim the gospel or we want to share the love of Jesus that seem to push against us. And the harder we 
uh, fight against those currents, the further we seem to be pushed away from our goal of sharing the gospel. And for me personally, one of the biggest social currents that pushes me away from people and my ability to express the gospel in my community is that there are people everywhere, every day, who look, who think, who behave differently than I do. There are the people who I often talk about exist on the fringes or in the margins of my life. There are people that I see posting comments or stories on social media that I disagree with a lot. They are people who live in unsafe areas that I'm afraid to perhaps drive my car through or park it at for an extended period of time. They're people who attend other churches. If they attend church at all, they adhere to contrasting political viewpoints. Hello. There are families who aren't always traditional, and they share pain and brokenness in their stories that is very different from my own. In other words, I find it hard to push against those social currents to love those people because they're so vastly different than what I am. And sometimes these currents, these social currents or religious norms that push us farther away from people cause us to erect barriers between myself and others. And these barriers are barriers that I willingly choose, oftentimes either consciously or subconsciously, to put up in my life as a means to restrict the gospel going forward in my life. What do I mean by that? I mean that these barriers are oftentimes kind of like handrails in life that I will cling to or lean against as an excuse for my reason for not sharing the gospel. And so I cling to those excuses as to why I can't share the gospel with certain people. And perhaps maybe you're like me. Perhaps you've experienced frustration within your own Christian walk where you felt like, man, I want to share the gospel with people, but I feel like I'm pushing against the social current that just keeps dragging me further away. And I imagine there's probably been times in your life where you felt those currents or ran into those barriers in your life. For some of you, as we've already said, maybe the issue is politics. Maybe the barrier in your life is politics. And if that's you, I can't say that I blame you because honestly, every day I wake up, I think there's no way that we as a society can become more divided over politics. And then a news story breaks and I'm pushed farther away. And then another news story breaks and I'm pushed even further away. And then another political news story breaks and the gap widens even further, putting more and more distance between myself and people on the other side of the political aisle. And for those of us that believe as Christ follows, we're called to love others. The thought of loving those people, let alone even liking them, seems like a bridge too far. And so oftentimes what we'll do in those circumstances is we will erect barriers in our lives and we will say that we will take the gospel to this point, but I will not go any further. I cannot cross this barrier. And so we erect these barriers because of the social currents of our time. Or maybe for some of us, you have a desire to be popular or accepted. I know as a youth pastor for almost seven plus years, this was the story that I heard over and over again from teenagers. 
Pastor Nick, I want to follow Jesus, but I also have this desire to be accepted by my peers. And here's the truth. Now that I've been an adult for longer than I was ever a teenager, which is a very, very scary thought, I have found that that same desire to be accepted does not change as you get older, does it? In fact, the only thing that changes is the setting. Where before we might have looked for acceptance in the halls of the school, we now look for acceptance in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our churches. And so in order to be accepted, again, we will put up barriers in our lives that will allow us to dehumanize people that exist outside of that barrier because we tell ourselves, much like we did in high school, that if I associate with that person beyond my barrier, then these people over here that I want to be accepted by are going to reject me. They're going to look indifferent, look at me poorly. And so we erect a barrier. And perhaps for others of us, it's church. A church experience. And if that's you, I can say congratulations. You are not alone in that. There are many who have had uh, barriers put up in their lives because of their experiences at church. I've shared here before that when I was in Bible college, I had a professor whose um, idea of sharing the gospel was going down to a sporting event in Denver. And after the event let out and throngs of people were walking out of the stadium, he would literally get up on his soapbox with his megaphone and would yell at people as they walked out, you're a sinner, you're going to hell, you need Jesus. And I remember sitting there and just being mortified by the scene, not because what he's saying wasn't true. It is true. If we die without Christ, we're going to be relegated to an eternity in separation from God. But the way in which he did it had no relationship, and he caused more damage than he did good. And so in that scenario, in that experience, I said to myself, I put up a barrier, I will never be like that type of Christian. I never want to be seen as that type of guy. And so I put up a barrier. And I said, my advancement or my pushing forward of the gospel will only go to this point. But as I start to hear the tapes in my mind playing of this professor, I'm going to stop because I don't want to be seen as that type of person. Maybe for others of you, it's barriers of fear when it comes to sharing the gospel and word or action. Maybe it's personal sacrifice or just being too dang busy. But whatever the barrier is that we erect in our lives, I think every one of us can probably acknowledge that there are people that exist in the fringes of our lives that we have a hard time loving because of the social currents that we are fighting against, because of the barriers that we erect in our life. The good news is this morning, church, is that if that's you, you're not alone. You're not alone. I'm not alone in that. In fact, as we look back in Jesus' day, the people during Jesus' time actually struggled with the exact same barriers that we are today. They wrestled against social currents. They wrestled against a desire to be accepted and loved to fight politics. And in the midst of all of that, we're going to see a story today where Jesus steps into a highly controversial situation and breaks through a barrier that no one else would. And as he does so, I think we're going to learn from him how we too, as Christ followers, can be barrier busters in our community. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, I would invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, and let's discover together what Jesus has to say about this very important issue in our Christian faith. 
Now, Matthew chapter 9 begins this way. In in verse 9, it says, As Jesus was walking along, he saw, and make note of that, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, he said. So Matthew got up and followed him. Jesus' actions in this portion of the text as we read this kind of seem innocuous to our modern ears. We might look at what Jesus did and say that all he did was invite a tax collector to be one of his disciples. We might even make a joke in the midst of that that starting a religious movement with an IRS agent might not be the most ideal person to begin with, but ultimately, so what? What's the big deal? However, if we were able to step out of our modern shoes and step into ancient shoes of the Jewish audience of that day, Jesus' actions would have been shocking to us. They would have blown our minds to watch Jesus interacting with this tax collector. And in order to unlock, if you were, the key to what's happening here, we have to first understand Matthew's position or occupation as a tax collector. Because in ancient Israel, tax collectors were not only regarded as sinners, but they were actually regarded as collaborators with Rome against the Jewish state. They were seen as traitors to the Jewish people because they literally had the entire force of the Roman army behind them that allowed them to collect taxes from the Jewish people. And to make matters worse, as a tax collector for Rome, any time they kind of skimmed off the top or collected more than what was necessary, they were able to keep that money. And so I don't think it's very hard for us to begin to imagine that if you've got an entire army behind you that backs you up, that you would not perhaps at least be a little tempted to take advantage of that system. And so because of that, they were seen as the scum of their society. There was the fringe, and then there was tax collectors. In fact, they were looked so poorly upon by their community that they were not allowed to be witnesses in court. They were actually excommunicated from the church, and the disdain for their occupation was so far, uh, so far reaching that it actually had implications for their immediate families. Tax collectors were the moral leopards of the Jewish community. And yet, in the midst of this all, this is here where we find Jesus. Jesus, who was supposed to be the conquering Messiah, the Jews believed that he had come to overthrow uh, the Jewish empire's enemies. And yet, here is Jesus inviting one of those very enemies to be part of his movement. Can you just imagine the social barriers that were being broken in this moment. Can you just hear those barriers crashing down around the Lord as He made His audacious request to Matthew, Hey, Matthew, come, follow me and be my disciple. It would be like a Bears fan and a Packers fan hanging out and actually enjoying each other's company. It just doesn't happen. And the Jews of that day believed that it shouldn't be happening between Jesus and and Matthew. But I want us to go back for just a moment. I want us to go back to what Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 says. Because there's an important key here that's going to help us understand how we can love people who exist on the fringes. Notice what Matthew says. He says that as Jesus was walking along, he saw 
Matthew. He saw him. And in the book of Luke, which recounts the same story, Luke actually uses a much more descriptive word. It's behind, the word has the idea behind it to have an intense gaze, that you're looking at something and observing it in such a way to try to understand it. And so for just a moment, step out of your shoes and put yourself in Matthew's shoes on that day. He's a dude that's just sitting there minding his business, collecting his taxes like he had every other day before. When all of a sudden, this rock star rabbi comes walking down the beach. And in the midst of that, he stops and just begins to stare at Matthew. And can you imagine if you were Matthew in that moment? Like, you'd probably be like, Like, you looking at me? Or I would have been like, Jesus, do do I got something on my face? I I got a boogie hanging? What's going on? But even more important than the stare that Jesus is looking at him with, you need to understand again why this would have been so shocking to Matthew. Because imagine, every day you're sitting at your tax booth, and every day as you sit there, there are people who are doing this. Walking by, not making eye contact with you because you are scum, you are an outsider. You're not deserving of their attention. And every day, religious leaders had walked by the same place and did not pay attention to Matthew. And yet in this moment, Jesus is walking by where everybody else had kept on walking, had not noticed Matthew. Jesus stops and sees him in this moment. And this is important for us to recognize as Christ followers. We need to be able to identify ourselves with Matthew in this moment. Because the Bible says that every one of us, every human being who has ever existed has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When it comes to our relationship with our Heavenly Father, we are all outsiders. That God could walk by our booth every day and not pay attention to us because we are outsiders. And yet, I want you to see this. In Romans chapter 3, verse 10 and 12, it says this. No one is righteous, not even one. We're all like Matthew, scum and tax collectors. No one is truly wise. But here's the thing. No one is seeking God. All have turned away and become useless. And that means that if you've come into a saving faith with Jesus Christ, it was not because of your own volition. It wasn't one day that you woke up and recognized my life is a mess, that I need Jesus. It was nothing that originated in your own mind. It was because Jesus saw you first. And that is why you were invited into a relationship with Him. Jesus noticed you. And that's so important for all of us today because there's so many times in our lives that I think we feel like people don't notice us or people label us or people say we're not worth anything. And yet in the midst of all of those things that are happening, Jesus stops and He looks at you and He says, come and follow me. And when we recognize that we're all the same as Matthew in this moment, when we recognize that we are no different than anybody else at the foot of the cross, suddenly the hierarchies and the barriers that might exist that might stop us from sharing the gospel with others are erased when we recognize that just the same way Jesus loved Matthew is the same way that he loves us. Jesus saw Matthew and he sees you too. And I think Jesus' shocking display of love also gives us some insight 
into loving people who live on the fringe. I mean, take for just a moment and notice what Jesus did in this situation. Or perhaps more importantly, notice what Jesus didn't do in this situation. Jesus didn't invite Matthew to church. He didn't say, hey, Matt, dude, come hang out with me at church. We got a service at 10 a.m. Nor did Jesus invite Matthew to some kind of sterile coffee shop environment where there was no chance of his reputation being ruined. We see instead that Jesus went to meet Matthew where he was at. He met Matthew on his own turf before he ever made an invitation to actually invite him to follow him. And in doing so, Jesus demonstrated for every one of those people who were there that day watching him, and for every one of us who are sitting here today, that if we are to follow Jesus, it should lead us to break through barriers to where people are, especially those who exist on the fringes. That it should lead us to bust through barriers of location, uh, barriers of social social barriers, religious barriers, whatever they may be, to reach people who exist out in the fringe. Because the truth is, church, that just as we recognize ourselves in Matthew, we need to recognize in others that there is no one who is so far gone or sinned so much or no circumstance so unredeemable that it ever exists outside of the reach in the love of our God. Be it a tax collector, be it a bar down the street, a homeless shelter, a lunch table, an impoverished area. The truth is, guys, that God's love, the gospel, knows no barriers. But here's the other truth, is that, guys, God, Jesus didn't stop there in that moment. He could have. It would have been more than enough for him to simply stop and see Matthew. That would have been enough in that moment to just blow people's minds. But Jesus doesn't stop there. In that moment, he continues on and does something even more audacious. And in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 10, it says this, Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples into his home, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, They asked his disciple, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said to them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come not to those to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. Can you even begin to imagine here the uproar that Jesus is causing in this moment? If the Jewish people thought it was crazy that that Jesus was inviting Matthew, an enemy of the Jewish state, to be one of his disciples, can you imagine the audacity and the shock and awe that they felt in this moment as they now witness Jesus partying with these people? He's not just hanging out, he's partying with them. And this was no small dinner party either. Many theologians actually believe that this was not a private residence where this uh, little party of the despised was being held, that rather it was a public hall, and that more than likely there were scores of people there, perhaps even up to a hundred or more people in this room. This was a raucous party, and in the middle of it all, we find Jesus. Oh, Oh, the barriers that must have been broken that day. 
the barriers that existed in that room, if we had spiritual eyes to see, I think we would be amazed because I think we'd see barriers of fear, barriers of doubt, barriers of politics, social standing, opinions, power, religious norms. They were all there. They were all currents that were pushing against Christ in this moment, trying to move Him further away from His desire to share the Gospel. And yet in that moment, Jesus stops and stands and pushes back against them. And He breaks every one of those barriers, all in the name of sharing the love of God with everyone, everywhere. You see, the people thought that Jesus was a Messiah who had come to conquer governments, but in His earthly ministry 2,000 years ago, Jesus was a Messiah who came to conquer the hearts of people. And when those who were there couldn't see beyond their own barriers, namely the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, who were akin to our modern-day internet trolls, guys who like to creep out from underneath bridges just to stir the pot, witnessed Jesus' radical love, of, uh, disp- love on display. They, they begin to openly question His motivations. They say, how could Jesus eat with such scum they murdered? murmured. And Luke actually uses this idea that they were grumbling, that they were sitting in a corner, perhaps outside of the group, just sitting there with hands crossed, grumbling over and over again. Can you believe what Jesus is doing? Look who he's eating with. Who does he think he is? I mean, can you just imagine the indignation that these men were feeling? And another translation actually says it this way, what kind of example is this from your teacher? What kind of example is this from your teacher? It's an example to any one of us who choose to follow Christ as our Lord and Savior. Because for those Pharisees and those religious leaders, if they believed in that moment that Jesus didn't understand the barriers that He was breaking, which I assure you Jesus did, they were going to make sure that He bumped into every one of those. And Jesus hears this grumbling from the corner from these Pharisees, and His response is as poignant as it is revealing. Because Jesus tells them, He says, Hey, guys, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And then he does something which Jesus does often. He quotes an Old Testament verse. And what he's doing in this moment is he's trying to connect the dots from the Old Testament law to this controversial situation to help the people that are there to understand the true meaning of God's kingdom. And he's telling a story from the book of Hosea. And he cites this verse as a means to declare to the religious leaders that much like the Israelites in Hosea's day, they did not understand the true nature of God's law, the meaning of God's law. They had become more concerned with religious practice. They had become more concerned with what they looked like on the outside, with protecting their barriers, than they were with actually helping those who were truly sick, with those who existed in the fringes and in the margins of their society. This is a barrier-busting statement by Jesus. I mean, I have to imagine it. Like, if I was a disciple sitting at the table and Jesus said that to them, I'd be like, dang, Jesus, why you got to do them like that? But Jesus did it. I mean, He spoke directly to what was going on in the hearts of these Pharisees. And He says that God's not worried about your outward appearance or by the appearance um, or by the appearance that we project to others or the appearance that others project on us. God's not concerned about that. Rather, God's not concerned about people's opinions. He's not concerned about political power, about social status, about religious norms. All of those things have no currency in God's kingdom. 
And that's what Jesus is trying to display to them. That all of those barriers, those man-made barriers that we put up in our lives, all of them, every one of them, crumble under the weight of the Gospel. They're utterly worthless. And instead, Jesus is saying to them, God is more concerned with your heart than He is about you looking good on the outside or respecting your own barriers. Barriers both big and small, personal and social, religious or otherwise, all crumbled under the weight of Jesus' words. Because at the end of the day, church, if we think about it this way, if the only opinion of me matters, that matters is God and what God thinks about me. And if through Christ, God says that I am His Son, that we are His children, that we are adopted heirs into His family, then I am free to be able to share the Gospel wherever I go without any fear of what barriers I may bump into or have to break through. Because God's love And the gospel knows no barriers. It knows no barriers. And I think every one of us can probably understand that conceptually. But again, as I've said many times from this pulpit, there's a big difference, church, between knowing something up here and knowing something here, right? The difference between what we know in our head and what we know in our hearts is a lot greater than the 12 inches that exist between the two. And so how do we practically go about seeking to love people who exist in the fringes or in the margins of our culture? And even complicating issue even further. If you're like me, and perhaps you grew up in the church, many of us have never been taught or have never had it demonstrated for us what it means to have a relationship with people who are unbelievers. In fact, I would go as far as to say this, that probably many of us have, told, have been told that we need to keep a safe distance from people who don't believe in Jesus. <laughs> we don't smoke, we don't chew, and we don't hang with those who do, right? Like, we laugh about that, but I remember distinctly hearing that very thing said to me as a child. So if the concern is how do we maintain our Christian the truth of the gospel, while at the same time loving people, how do we do that practically? How do we love while maintaining truth? I think, again, we have to look to Jesus for our example, because pause with me for just a moment, okay? And think about some of the stereotypes that most people have about Christians. They're standoffish. They're boring. They're judgmental, hypocrites. They're the last people that you would ever want to invite to a party, right? And yet, in this story, and in so many other stories in the gospel, where do we see Jesus? He's right in the middle of the party. He's at weddings. He's at feasts. He's at festivals. Jesus was in and amongst the people. Kids loved him. His love was extravagant and not timid. The people of Jesus' day believed that only holy men could be found in the halls of their churches. But in Jesus, we find it demonstrated that people who are holy and truly love God are found in the marketplace with others. People who exist within the fringes and in the margins of our society. So church, I would say this, that we must, we must, we must take time to be able to have relationships with others in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, at our work, to be able to understand the doubts and the spiritual questions of our friends and what they wrestle with. We're not to be the ones that shout the gospel at a distance and remain detached from society. The truth is, Jesus never uh, treated people like an evangelistic project. 
Jesus never treated people like an evangelistic project. And I think that's where so many of us oftentimes get it wrong. We think that if we can just get people to say a prayer, I can wipe my hands and move on. But the truth is we haven't sold them the gospel. All we've sold them in that moment is fire insurance and not the true life in Christ Jesus. We haven't sold them the true gospel. We haven't given to them the life that comes in Christ because why, yes, it is true. The gospel costs us nothing. Salvation is free through Christ. To follow Jesus costs us everything. And to share anything less than that is to not proclaim the full gospel in relationship with them. So we need to be radically identified with people in order to share our lives with them. And so my question for you this morning is this, church. Are there people in your lives who exist in the fringes or in the margins, people who would profess to be unbelievers or far from God? Are there those people in your life, maybe even just one, who you have relationship with that you can not only share your faith, but more importantly, perhaps even you could share your life with? Are you radically identified with them? Because think again what I said a few weeks ago. What was Jesus identified with? What was he called? He was called a friend of sinners. He was so enmeshed with people that were outside of the norms of church they were outside of the norms of even society that people referenced him and lumped him in with people who were far from God. He was a friend of sinners. So we have to be radically identified with people. But also, if we're going to preserve the truth of the gospel, we also have to be radically different. Because Jesus was both fully human and fully divine. And as God incarnate, Jesus was holy, and He calls every one of us as His followers to be holy as He was. And Jesus, in the way in which He went about His Father's business, in the way in which He ministered to people, yes, He was radically identified with others, but He shows us that to identify with others is not to be identical with them. Because if we are identical with those that we associate with, our witness is ineffective. It loses all of its saltiness. It's bland. But if we're followers of Christ, then the truth is, is that the love of Jesus has changed us from the inside out. And that should be something that should be on display. We should show it to the world around us that Jesus is real and changes us. And here's why being radically different is so important. Because by and large, for many people, especially those people who exist in the fringes or in the margins of our culture, for many of those people, they don't really have a clue about who Jesus is. In their mind, the Jesus they know and understand is defined by what they see on social media. It's what they read about in news articles. It's what they hear about on TV, the hypocrisies that exist in the church. That's who they understand Jesus to be. For many, he is nothing more than just a good and kind man. He was nice and generous, the kind of person that everybody loved, even your grandmother. However, when we live radically through the love that Christ has given us, we have the power then to introduce people to the irresistible, to the relentless, to the life-changing and transforming power of Christ's love. Following Jesus leads us to break through barriers, church. To be barrier busters no matter where we find ourselves, no matter what the circumstance is. And to do that, we must both radically identify with those that exist in the fringes, but we also must be radically different in order to point them to the living Christ, to show them the love that is different than anything else in this world. 
God's love and the gospel knows no barriers. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world. Visit us at mosaicwi.com.